Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 176. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we've finally beaten Notion into submission. Hence, we have a show. Welcome back. And if you're new, great to have you with us and welcome to the MacBytes family. MacBytes is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit and so much more. We also review apps and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show. Just check out the stories from the Newbies Guide to MacBytes that you'll find at macbytes.co.uk. And we've just celebrated our 16th birthday too. So there's plenty of fun for you to catch up on. But let's get on with it. I'm spoiled for choice in terms of which calamity to cover first this week. Data breach of the week or Thermalgate? Ponder, ponder, ponder. OK, it's got to be Thermalgate. You can't have an iPhone launch without a new gate. Doubtless, you'll recall Bumpergate, £25 for a piece of plastic because we were holding the iPhone 4 the wrong way. Then there was Beardgate. Beards getting trapped in the seam between glass and case. Think of the feeling of a Brazilian wax. Not that I've ever partaken of one myself, for which we can all be grateful. But I was in a local beauty parlour a few years back. It's all right, not partaking. Buying a voucher for a friend's birthday. When I witnessed the most blood-curdling scream... Thinking someone was being murdered in the back room, I gave the assistant a look of pure horror. She was pretty nonplussed and said, oh, don't worry about it. Someone's having their first Brazilian. <clears throat> first and last by the sound of it. Anyway, I digress. Next stop was Tattoo Gate. This was the Apple Watch not registering biometrics correctly on dark skin or over tattoos. Oh, the gates are always so entertaining unless you're a bearded person with a tattoo and were £25 out of pocket for a bumper. But back to Thermalgate. This one was really gaining traction before Apple responded. Here are the basics of the saga. iPhone 15s were overheating. Yes, that's about the crux of it. Needless to say, Apple's initial response, this, this is step one, was crickets, just like it has been with all of the other gates over the years. Then we move to step two. Their next step was the obligatory, it's not us, it's you, denial. Seriously? Yes, they blamed apps for trying to do too much. Then step three, we'll fix it with a software update, for which read will throttle the life out of the thing. But it seems a software update can fix anything. And that includes a radiation leak. Yes, they issued a software update for the French radiation issue too. Now, I'm eagerly awaiting the software update to turn my iPhone 11 into a shiny new iPhone 15, throttled or not. Just think of all the time money and effort they're going to be able to save by not actually having to ship anything. You can thank me later, Timmy. Oh, I do love a gate. 
And what's even funnier is Apple's response to it. So thank you for that, Apple. Brought a smile to my face. But then I don't have an iPhone 15 that's overheating or throttled, do I? Ah, let's move on. Ryanair, or more precisely, Michael O'Leary. He was in the news again. You may recall the great tech fail of August 2023. Well, you will if you're in the UK and you were trying to leave an airport or land at one. Uh, Apparently, this great tech fail was nothing to do with them. According to his evidence to a government committee, it was all air traffic control's fault for a very specific reason. Brace yourselves. Air traffic controllers were, according to Michael O'Leary, working from home and, as such, watching TV. He's clearly another of those Neanderthals who believe if you're not in the office, you're not working. A bit like Boris and his unforgettable, if you're working from home, you'll be eating cheese all day speech. Anyway, back to Michael O'Leary. The folks he was criticising, said air traffic controllers. Yeah, those were the professionals who landed 700 planes in 10 minutes on 9-11 and the remaining 3,300 planes within three hours. What are Ryanair famous for? Oh, charging exorbitant prices for printing a piece of paper. No news of any low-flying cream cakes in this meeting. Shame, really. Better luck next time, methinks. I really can't be doing with bosses who think it's the dark ages and that people need to be chained to, um, I was going to say their computers. But if we're going back that far, chained to a scythe or something similar. Anyway. Apple surprised everyone, including themselves, I'd imagine, by releasing a cheaper tech toy. Before you get excited, don't. It's an Apple Pencil. Now, when I say cheaper, it's like smoke and mirrors, this. It's only cheaper than Pencil 1 and Pencil 2 because Apple increased the price of both after their initial release. Well, we can all do that, Apple. Yes, the original pencil was £79 on release. It's now £129. The new, cheaper pencil is £79 and coming in November. It's a bit smaller. It has a USB-C charging port, which they've cleverly hidden away under a cap. It doesn't do everything that the Apple Pencil 2 does. There's no pressure sensitivity, no wireless charging, and that despite being magnetic and attaching to the tablet. It's sort of a bizarre attempt to fill a gap that no one was aware was there to be filled by the look of it. So just another device to confuse an already overloaded and confused product line then. I'm filing that under Move Along Nothing to See here. The only reason I I would ever be tempted by that is if I already had an iPad mini and I was looking for a pencil to attach to it, which I don't have. So more of a theoretical desire than a practical need. Move along then. Oh, yes. Folding iPads coming in 2024. Mm. Until I actually read the article. As the print got smaller as you headed down the article, um, 2024 became early 2025 and then late 2025 before, if at all, within three paragraphs. So do you want a folding iPad? Would you buy a folding iPad? I've long predicted a 17 inch iPad. Maybe this is the one.
but I'm not at all sure I would buy one. Logically, it's got to be a lot more expensive. And as a Revision 1 product, anything that's Revision 1 from Apple is usually somewhat, oh, how to delicately describe it, ropey. There we go, ropey. Timmy would have to greatly impress me. That doesn't happen often, does it now? I can honestly say not, no. Now, talking of Apple, they've taken the opportunity to reshuffle their VPs. Many promotions and a retirement. I haven't heard of most of them. But the most important thing to note is, Timmy hasn't reshuffled himself to attend our long-awaited interrogation, uh, sorry, interview, here at MacBytes headquarters. Should that grand day ever come, you'll be the first to know. Oh, and then I moved on to YouTube, who were getting animated. Now, least said about YouTube, the better right now. I'm a bit grumpy with them. Oh, no, no, let's be honest, I'm a lot grumpy with them. Now, instead of focusing on what really matters, what have YouTube done? They have animated the subscribe and the like button. I know, you couldn't make this up. Sparkling little stars are your reward for hitting the buttons. It's like we're all being treated like we're three years old again. Like with Apple, it looks like the answer to anything and everything is adding more stickers to it. Now, this comes not without rules, though. Of course, this is YouTube, so it'll be their rules then. But YouTube told The Verge that the animations could only be triggered three times per video and with at least three minutes between them. I don't really have any words for that. But if this was a video podcast, you'd see me sat here shaking my head sadly. So just put that image in your mind, because that's what it's like. So let's move on from the sublime to the ridiculous. Elon. Elon's latest idea. Pay to play. But then I thought about it. It's actually pay to post. Elon must be running short on cash. He's pushed the button and is now demanding that potential Twitter users, these are new users, pay to post. One dollar is the going rate, apparently. I have no idea if that's per tweet. Currently, this is only in two geographies. I guess he's testing it. Talking of geographies and Elon, there are also rumours of him pulling Twitter from Europe completely. Why would he do that? Well, it's all to do with EU rules regarding disinformation. The EU don't like it. From his behaviour, it seems he likes it a lot. He seems to enjoy pot stirring. So let's see how all that plays out. Could he really, really do that? Would he be idiotic? And, oh, oh, don't, don't ask questions like that. Leading questions. Let's just see how it plays out. Oh, the next one's even worse. <clears throat> now, I know you can't really move on from Elon and claim that the next story's more crazy. But this one, this one is. Honestly, can't help it. I didn't think there was much that could be scarier than Elon and his antics until I read that Tinder were, and I quote, turning dating into a team sport. With Tinder Friends and Family Edition. You'll be able to invite friends and family to suggest matches for you. Up to 15 people deciding your future. Rolling out in 15 countries before later going global. O-M-G. I can't think 
of anything worse. My first thought was imagining the abject horror of my mother getting involved with 20-something me and potential suitors. Then I thought of something far, far worse. My father getting involved with 20-something me and potential suitors. He would have much preferred me locked away for eternity. No one was good enough for his girl. While at the other end of the spectrum was my grandmother. I know you're probably thinking she'd be even worse. No, no. On my 16th birthday, while I was blowing the candles out on the cake, she demanded to know when I would be providing her with a great grandchild. Well, I guess at least she had the decency to wait until I turned 16. Who could think this Tinder thing was a good idea? Putting anything out to a public vote in this country. And what do you get? Well, here's just two things. Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. And a £200 million polar scientific research ship named Boaty McBoatface. Do I need to go on? No, I didn't think so. Oh, and while I was recovering from that, Amazon announced drone deliveries. Yes, I know they've already done that. Now I know why it never appeared over here. Apparently, the current drones can't fly in rain. It's never coming to the UK then, but apparently it is. In 2024, so within a year, they announced this with quite a long press release. I've actually made a note of Amazon were once again droning on about their delivery drones. See what I did there? Yes, they've got new drones. They can only carry the same small packages, but they're quieter. And more importantly, to get them here, can fly in worse weather conditions. So previously, as I say, no use in rain. But if they want to challenge, Manchester's in with a chance, surely. We have dodgy weather all year round. We should also be in with a really good chance because we already have the local co-op delivery robots. And can you see I'm putting a good pitch together here? Manchester University are claiming a world record with a cardboard drone. I kid you not. 6.4 metres across a giant drone, which they have claimed they launched up in Snowdonia, which is over in Wales. So we're waiting for the world record on that one. It is going to happen. But I do, just on a practical level, I'm wondering if it'll be more remote places. Because just looking out of the window and we've got lampposts, we've got um, cable internet posts, there's all sorts. And I'm wondering how a drone would cope. But then we see the little robots flying about. So maybe it could. Uh, Watch this space. Fingers crossed it's us this time next year. And I've saved the best for last. Microsoft are lauding their latest AI. It's called Microsoft Copilot. It's going to be available from the 1st of November inside Microsoft 365 apps. It has all the usual stuff we've come to expect over the last year from AI. But one feature had me rolling on the floor laughing. Wait for it. Copilot can attend Microsoft Teams meetings on your behalf and summarise the meeting for you. Why was I laughing so much? Well, I already see that. There's many training sessions or meetings that I attend, or if it's a training session, present. 
and I, I see it. I see Dave's utter note taker in attendance. The thing that makes me laugh is Dave's not there. So Dave's waiting later to read the summary that Otter have created of a training session. I hate to tell you, Dave, no video, just saying. Um, and in addition to Dave and his Otter note taker, there's several others during the session, not all Otter, but they're doing the same thing. They are AI attending a meeting instead of their overlord. Um, and I, I, how many people even go back to this stuff later? because I'm not sure if I hadn't attended that, that, whether I would or not. I doubt it. Everybody's just turned into a squirrel, basically. Now, I, I contemplated this and I thought it's not going to be long before there's nobody in the meetings but the AI bots. And then when that happens, what will there actually be to summarise? 20 AI note takers waiting endlessly for someone, anyone, to say something. <laughs> if you send a bot... And then you need to ask a question about that meeting. Why should the presenter or the host who was actually present when you weren't indulge you after the event? Most events include time for questions. I bet they're quiet these days. Just just a thought. But if you choose not to attend, that's between you and your AI bot. Don't expect me to be available on demand after the event to fill in the gaps for you. How do you know what your AI bot didn't bother to add to the summary? Seriously, think about it. That's how the Three Mile Island nuclear meltdown happened. A memo that should have been distributed wasn't. Oh, I can see new excuses right now. Well, the meltdown wouldn't have happened if my AI bot hadn't missed that part of the meeting, the one I couldn't be bothered attending. <laughs> Watch this space. It's only going to be a matter of time. I'm telling you, just a matter of time. Do you know, I think I have far too much fun with the news of the week. I do, but at least I'm enjoying myself and I hope you are too. I thought Google had been far too quiet in the sunsetting department. You could be forgiven for thinking there isn't much left to sunset, but needless to say, they managed to find something and something that I use. And make it end of life. What is it this time? Yes, I thought that. What's left that I use? Jamboard. It's Google's digital whiteboarding solution. It was born in 2017. So to be honest, it's done quite well, hasn't it? The date of death is slated to be the 31st of December 2024. That's not bad for Google. At least they're giving us over 12 months notice. It got me thinking, why did we choose Jamboard over the other options like Microsoft Whiteboard, Apple Freeform and many others? Well, Apple Freeform wasn't an option when we made our choice. It was but a glint in Timmy's eye. And Jamboard did what we needed, which was quick and dirty diagrams to explain concepts we were working on. A picture is worth a thousand words and a hastily thrown together diagram can save hours. So what now? Well, our first alternative seems to be Microsoft Whiteboard. It works in a browser. There are apps for iOS and iPadOS. You may be thinking, why not a dedicated drawing app, something like Whimsical or Omnigraffle? Well, a percentage of diagrams might end up there, 
usually the more important ones, the ones that we would choose to formalise for future work or future reference. But there's always a place for something quick and fleeting, though. And Jamboard had a hardware element too, large screen devices. And the fact that there were hardware devices kicking around just makes their decision even more strange. Very much so, it was a corporate solution. So if you bin it, don't you lose income off this unless no one was buying it. While I was researching, I did find the most fabulous site. Google Graveyard Killed by Google. Link in the show notes. There's page after page after page of services killed by Google over the years. Way more than even I can recall. But as I made my way through it, I was greatly peeved at many of the demises because there were literally hundreds of them going back 17 years. So um, it's looking like Microsoft Whiteboard. Now, I must admit, I, I thought, oh, Microsoft Whiteboard, that was the first alternative that came to my mind. So I picked up my phone and I found the app. Obviously, I had it installed. I hadn't bothered deleting it. Tapped it, opened it up. Log in, it said, to Microsoft. So I put my credentials in. Back it came with a snotogram. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll force quit it. You know where you do the jiggles. Not the jiggles, um, the side thing and swipe up. I did that. Went in again. Wouldn't even let me log in at that stage. Wouldn't even present the username and password. Just, just this snotogram message. Well, after trying and trying and trying, I thought this, this isn't good. So I thought I'll try it on the iPad. Same. I thought, mm, now I haven't got an alternative to Jamboard. So I mentioned this casually to you, didn't I, Mike? <laughs> and um, it turned out Microsoft's verification servers were having a problem. It wasn't actually me. It wasn't actually the app. It was just the login process. So a day later, I tried again and got in. So um, I, I haven't taken it much further than that. I'll need to report back on, on whether I, I'm at the moment thinking to myself, you know, keep the faith. Maybe Microsoft Whiteboard's better, but I've got a nasty feeling it's going to come back with lots of grumbles. But we'll find out when I actually test it fully. But at least I can log in now. So step in the right direction, hey? Joe Ho asked in Slack recently if I'd covered the Windows Power Toys. And the answer to that is yes. Back in April in After Hours 189. The link's in the show notes. If you missed that show, what's he talking about? What are the Power Toys? Well, according to Microsoft, who created them, they are a set of free utilities for power users to tune and streamline their Windows experience for greater productivity. Which makes me wonder why Microsoft don't just bundle the features directly into Windows instead of making them a separate download. You can download them from the Microsoft Store or from a page on learn.microsoft.com, the link to which I've put in the show notes. The Power Toys aren't actually new, having been created in 1996 for Windows 95. Since that initial release, Microsoft have added and removed tools. What we have today is 22 utilities that will work on Windows 10 and Windows 11. Our first experience with the Power Toys was when there were 15 tools, including the wonderfully named Tweak UI, or Tweak UI as we called it. Tweak UI was a utility that provided a graphical user interface for tweaking the more obscure settings in Windows. 
These settings could have been modified without Tweak UI, but that would have meant editing the Windows registry using the Windows Registry Editor. Not a job for the faint-hearted, I can tell you. The registry is a central repository that contains information and settings for programs and hardware that are installed on your computer. And the settings often have obscure names and strange values, quite often just ones and zeros. Imagine taking the content of all the plist files from your Mac, which is where the Mac apps tend to store their settings, and storing them in some kind of proprietary database, and then needing a special app, the Registry Editor, an app with a very unfriendly interface to edit them. I still break out in a sweat today if I ever have to edit the registry on my Windows laptop. One false move, one incorrect value, and your entire machine could come crashing down around you. You need nerves of steel if you need to do a registry hack, as it's often called. So what exactly did TweakUI do? Well, here's just a few examples. There was an option to automatically log into the network during boot up by checking a box and supplying a username and password. There was an option to hide the arrow on shortcut icons. If you created a shortcut to a file and put it on your desktop, the icon had a tiny arrow on the corner to indicate that it's a shortcut. And that's still the case today. Tweak UI enabled you to choose whether to display or hide the arrow. Although it was very tempting to set the option to no arrow just to make it tidier, it's actually important to be able to easily tell the difference between an icon that's a shortcut and one that's an actual program or document file. Deleting a shortcut is no big deal, but deleting the real file by mistake, however, could have serious consequences. Tweak UI contained an absolute stack of options, too many to talk about here. But before I leave Tweak UI, I must mention the wonderfully named Paranoia tab, which contained options such as clear document history at login, clear find files history at login, and clear Internet Explorer history at login. Alas, however wonderful Tweak UI was, it's no longer part of the 2023 edition of Power Toys. But let's not dwell on the past. Let's look at some of the apps in the current version of the Power Toys. I don't want to make it sound like a shopping list, so I've picked out what I consider to be the most useful apps. I'll also, where possible, reference similar apps on the Mac. I'll start with Power Toys Run, which is a launcher. For years, I wanted a launcher for Windows. When I say years, ever since I got a Mac. Because before that, I'd never heard of a launcher. But with a Mac, you've got Spotlight built in. And then there's the third-party apps we've used over the years. Quicksilver, LaunchBar, Alfred, Raycast. I've lost count of the number of times I've pressed the Windows key and spacebar, or Alt and spacebar, on a Windows machine. And it's done nothing. Well, with the Power Toys installed, pressing Alt and Space displays a small Alfred-esque or Raycast-esque box in the middle of the screen. And you just start typing the name of the app that you want to run. Power Toys Run comes with a whole load of settings, including the ability to change the keyboard shortcut that's used to run it, clearing the previous query on launch, setting the maximum number of results shown before you need to scroll. If you use more than one monitor, Power Toys Run can be launched on the primary display 
the display with a mouse cursor on it, or the display with a focused window. But PowerToys Run is more than just an app launcher. It can search for folders and files, open web pages, or start a web search. I typed macbytes.co.uk, I pressed enter, and it opened it in Chrome, my default browser. I typed Amazon Chocolate, and it opened Chrome, took me to Google, and displayed the search results for Amazon Chocolate. Not as good as Alfred, where typing Amazon Chocolate takes you straight to Amazon and displays the search results for chocolate, but it's good nevertheless. It has a built-in calculator. It can even do conversions. For example, you type percent sign, percent sign, 100 miles in km, and it'll return how many kilometers 100 miles is. Unlike Raycast, it doesn't do currency conversions. I've tried. Another toy worthy of a mention is the colour picker, which lets you pick a colour from anywhere on your screen and copy it to your clipboard. You press the assigned shortcut key, which is Windows key Shift and C, although I change that to Alt and Shift and C, hover over any colour and click. And that displays a dialog box containing the RGB, hex and HSL values of the selected colour. Next to each of those values is a copy icon, which, when clicked, copies the appropriate code to the clipboard. Down the left-hand side, there's a bar which displays a history of the last 20 picked colours, making it easy to reuse a colour. You can also fine-tune any picked colour, choosing one that's slightly lighter or slightly darker than the one you selected. One of my issues with Excel on Windows is there's no colour picker in any of the dialog boxes where you set colour. Is that so odd? Well, it is when you consider PowerPoint includes one. So having a system-wide colour picker is going to make my life easier. Next on the list is PowerToys Awake. Not much to say about this one. Does one job and does it well. Keeps your computer awake without having to manage its power and sleep settings. Similar to what you can do with caffeine and amphetamine on the Mac, you can keep the computer awake indefinitely or for a defined amount of time. One of the utilities I recently started using on the Mac is Text Sniper, which enables you to copy text from anywhere on your screen, including inside images or videos. The Text Extractor utility in PowerToys does exactly the same thing on Windows. Like Text Sniper, it's activated via a shortcut key. And once you've pressed the key, you simply use the mouse to highlight the desired text. It basically draws a square or rectangle around the selected text. And when you release the mouse, the text is saved to the clipboard. If you've highlighted the wrong text, rather than letting go of the mouse and reselecting, if you hold the shift key down, you can move the highlight to select a different region of the screen. Another simple one is paste as plain text. This enables you to paste text that's stored in your clipboard using a quick key shortcut. Any formatting included in the clipboard text will be replaced with unformatted text. This is the equivalent of the Mac's Command Option Shift V keyboard shortcut. Power Rename is a bulk renaming tool, similar to the Mac apps A Better Finder Rename and Name Mangler. 
I didn't realise until I was researching this piece that there's a version of a Better Finder rename for Windows made by the same company that makes the Mac version. So say I had 100 files that contained TET in the file name. TET being the abbreviation I use for the Excel trainer. And I wanted to change every occurrence of TET to the Excel trainer. I can use Power Rename to do it. A great utility, but a better finder rename has much more functionality. So those are the power tools that I've used, but there's also a few more that are worthy of a brief mention. Screen Ruler lets you measure pixels on your screen. You press the keyboard shortcut key that you've assigned to it, and up pops an on-screen ruler. If you're wondering about a use case for this, think web designers and graphic artists. Sometimes you need to measure the number of pixels that are used by specific elements on the screen. Maybe you want to get the size for a certain object. Maybe you need to measure a certain vertical or horizontal distance. And this is where a screen ruler comes in useful. As an example, I have a number of WordPress-based sites that have videos and images in the posts and pages. And I often need to know for any given site the maximum available width in pixels that a video or screenshot or other image can be. If you're a Mac user and you're looking for something similar, check out Pixelstick. Another power toy worth mentioning is Mouse Without Borders, which enables you to control up to four computers from the same machine. You can control a remote machine using the same keyboard and mouse. You can share the clipboard between machines and you can transfer files between machines. If you're thinking this sounds familiar, yes, it's similar to Apple Remote Desktop and Screens, but for Windows. And talking of mice, Mouse Utilities is a collection of features that enhances the mouse and cursor functionality on Windows, very similar to Mouse Pose on the Mac. Find My Mouse activates a spotlight that focuses on the cursor's position. You do this by pressing the control key twice, using a custom shortcut, or just shaking the mouse. Mouse Highlighter displays visual indicators when the left or right mouse buttons are clicked. This could be useful for video tutorials, although I prefer to add this in post-production using Camtasia's annotation tools. Although the number of times I do actually lose my mouse cursor on screen, it could be useful for what it's actually intended for. The Image Resizer Power Toy lets you resize images in bulk. There are seven preset sizes and you have the ability to define your own. Another very simple yet powerful utility. Two more to mention before I wrap up. Peak provides Windows users with the equivalent of macOS Quick Look functionality. Select a file in File Explorer, press Control and Space, and that can be configured, and it displays a preview of the file. And finally, Quick Accent is an alternative way to type accented characters. For example, the French characters E-Acute or E-Grave. Useful when a keyboard doesn't support that specific character. And it's exactly the same as we have in macOS, iOS and iPadOS. You activate it by holding the key for the character you want to add the accent to. And then, whilst it's held down, press the activation key, which is the space. And a bar pops up at the top of the screen. Just use the left and right arrow keys 
to cycle through the characters displayed on the bar until the one you want is highlighted. So that's it. I've not gone through every utility. I've picked what I think are the most useful ones. If you want to know more, there's a link in the show notes, along with links to the Mac equivalents that I've mentioned. And if you want to see some of the power toys in action, check out MacBytes After Hours 189. And we're following that software up with more software. If you've seen the week at MacBytes headquarters, you may recall the timer app that I mentioned. Why did I need yet another timer app? Ah, no, no, really, I did need, proper need this. I'm in a mastermind group and we have two sessions in the week. Plan your week on Monday and a weekly review on Friday. Each of those is an hour long, but they're broken up into shorter timed sections where you're supposed to do the same thing. So it could be inbox zero, calendar processing, filing notes and many, many more things that that we choose to include. So we do change it up each session. But it's an hour long and within that hour, there are dedicated sections to what we're doing. Well, the time changed from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Now, by 5 p.m. here, Mike has finished work. Lola's demanding a walk, dinner or playtime or all three. Or I have another live session that clashes. So I tried it at 5 p.m. for a few weeks, but it just wasn't working for me. Technically, I should be able to manage this without the virtual presence of someone else and at a time of my choosing. But a guided session always feels more productive. What I needed was a timer app that could keep me on track. What the options were. Now, to be honest, I'm not short of timer apps. I've got a whole folder full of them. My favourite is presentation timer. And I did contemplate that that might work, but there are only three sections to a presentation. So it has a traffic light system built into it. So it's green when you're rabbiting on. When you're coming towards the end, it changes to amber. And if you overrun, it changes to red. But there's more than three sections in a plan your week or a weekly review. So had to discount that one. I then have one called alarm clock for me. I'm actually not sure where these have come from, but they're there. That's not an interval timer. It's just for setting an alarm. I have the clock, which I use on macOS instead of the standard built-in clock. I have it on iOS, but I use it less there. Then I've got one called Timer Plus, which is great for boiling eggs. Yes, I made it into the kitchen once. But beyond that, not really. You can have different timers, but they're not in a sequence. There's Flicklow, which is used during live presentations for time tracking. Pretty much it just shows you a very large clock, a digital type clock. Then I've got one called Just Timers, which I thought had potential. But the features that I needed were behind a two tier paywall. I couldn't even test them. So I didn't know if it would work or not. Then I've got one called multi-timers, which is multiple timers, as the name implies, but not in a sequence. So none of them fitted the bill. The closest was FlexTime from Red Sweater Software. Now, that's a macOS app, but the thing is, it's as old as the hills. It would need Rosetta to run on my new Mac. It's seen no innovation in years. To be honest, it's barely in maintenance mode. It's a great app, but... It would also have meant being tied to the desktop for it. So the search began. 
Have you ever searched for a timer of any description in the app store? It is a black hole of apps. You could spend months trying app after app after app. Most of the ones that were returned in the search result because I typed sequence timer were clearly intended for high intensity workouts and the sequences that they have with them. Now, call me picky, but I don't need to be accosted with images of scantily clad athletes while sipping my afternoon beverage of choice and potentially nibbling on a gluten free biscuit. Eventually, I found a couple of options. One was called timers and the other practice time. So I tried timers first. I thought it was simple to use, set up and configure. And this was despite a review saying it was far too complicated and that person had deleted it. Seriously? <laughs> That's right. Where, you, where your stupidity is a badge of honour. It says more about you and your intellect than it does the app. Trust me, it's simple. It also includes samples for you to play with and test and edit to your heart's content. The initial screen shows the group of container timers. And what I mean by that is a container timer, which is my term, is a timer that is made up of a series of nested timers. Now, tapping on one of those container timers drills down into the individual timers that make up the container timer. You can have as many nested timers as you need. And each one of them can have different durations, different colours, different alert sounds. You're able to duplicate them. You can also delete them if they're no longer required. The genius feature here is the library feature. You can add individual nested timers to a library, ready to reuse them in other sequences as required, which is a massive time saver. You can also make new container timers with either custom nested timers or you can use the pre-configured library timers. There's another level of library as well, which is a library of container timers. So, for instance, I would have my plan your week and my weekly review. Now, if I found I was doing two distinct different weekly reviews, then I could add both of them to the library and then make a derivative from them. And each of your timer sequences can be added to that level of library, the container library. And each can be used, as I say, as a starting point for another sequence timer. You can start the sequence timer from any of the nested timers. Now, if you've configured it correctly, I would suspect you'll start at the beginning with the first one. But you can skip some if you prefer. Once you've started, the nested timer starts its countdown. And once that section is complete, the selected notification sounds and the next nested timer starts its countdown. You can pause to have a break and then resume. You can also choose to stop the entire process before you're complete if you actually need to. Now, it's iOS only, so it displays at two times on the iPad. If you have an M series Mac, you can install the iOS app and it works perfectly. Now, that solved the problem for me of there being no dedicated macOS version. And I didn't mind it at two times on the iPad. It looked fine to me. Now, there is unfortunately no sync of the settings or the library items, which could be a bit of an issue if you intend to use multiple devices. But once you've configured each device, to be honest, you hardly notice, especially if you configure it in such a way that you use the same settings all the time. Now, it's $4.99 to remove the ads, but all of the features are there for you, as long as you don't mind the ads. 
I went for it. I paid the $4.99, removed the ads, absolutely love it. I've got it on my phone, a couple of iPads and my desktop. Without spoiling the review of the next one, that was the one I went for. I will explain why. Because I did keep searching and I came up with the second one, which is practice time. Now, the reason I looked at this option was it was completely free. There are dedicated iOS and iPad versions. It does exactly the same thing as timers. It has options to colour code the nested timers. In fact, its customization went a little bit further in terms of the text and the background, if that's important to you. Now, there was one flaw that I couldn't have predicted without actually using the app. The nested timers are presented sequentially. Now, obviously, they're used sequentially, but I didn't realise how important it would be for me to be able to just glance at it and see what was coming up for all the future nested timers. So with this one, you can't see what's coming up next in the sequence. As soon as you hit start, that's it. It starts the sequence and the only way that you can navigate forward or backwards, which you can do, there are options for that, but it stops the timer you're currently on and then moves you to the next one. But you couldn't see what the next one was without moving. So a bit of a catch 22 there. It was more annoying than I would have imagined. And that was the reason that I forked out for timers, despite the lack of sync. Now, practice time doesn't have sync either, to be honest. So again, once you've set it up, that's it. It doesn't really have a library either. So with the library feature, despite the fact it didn't have sync, timers was the one for me. So if you're in the market for an interval timer or a sequence timer or whatever you prefer calling it, neither of these options is bad. One's free, but I prefer timers. The library systems are brilliant and I now understand that I need to be able to see the entire sequence. I don't know why that's so important to me, but it is. So for me, timers is where it's at. Now, because it's so difficult to find any relevant timer app in the App Store, I've put links into both of these. Don't bother searching. You'll never find them. There's millions of them. So use the links in the show notes and let me know which one you prefer. Or do you have no need for a sequence timer at all? Is this just me? Could well be, I guess. Now we have a stop the press moment. As we were finishing up the show, there was an announcement, an announcement of a surprise Apple event. Pre-recorded, they said. No visitors to Apple Park allowed, they said. So they can make it a convenient time for all of us. Oh, hang on. It's one minute to midnight in the UK. 1am in Europe. Is this a ploy, Timmy? A ploy to put us off covering the event. It won't work. We've covered every Apple event live on MacBytes since 2010. You and your stupid timings will have no effect whatsoever. Mike will probably be in bed asleep, but I'll be there to torment you from afar. And doubtless, so will the MacBiters, some of whom may normally miss out. Our New Zealand and Australia contingent will be able to attend in daylight for once. Our US contingent won't have to be listening during the working day. So, nice try, Timmy. But MacBytes Live is happening. Consider yourself on notice that I expect you to completely thrill us. That means more than a new pair of headphones costing more than hiring George Clooney for the night. I do hope that you'll be able to join us at MacBytes FM for our usual fun and frolics. 30th of October, one minute to midnight in the UK. 
Link in the show notes. Do check the time because to add to the general hilarity, our clocks go back this weekend, but I know they don't in the States. So it is what we at Matt Bikes headquarters call do not copy and paste week. That harks back to when calendars didn't like you copying and pasting. It, it didn't account for the hour. But um, you need to be careful. We're not eight hours and five hours behind, I don't think. It, it's complicated. <laughs> Just use the link that I'll put in the show notes or, or we'll all turn up at the wrong time and that would never do. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Hasn't it been blissful? Hasn't what been blissful? The little break we're having. From the show you mean? from pretty much everything. Let's just say that you look well rested. I do, don't I? That sounded smug. It did, didn't it? What have you been up to? Me? Nothing, just resting. You had something to do with the huge notion outage, didn't you? My lips are sealed. I knew it. You just can't keep up with them anymore, can you? I didn't say that. No, you didn't. I did. You're not as young as you once were. What? The? Actual? When did you get so sassy? When I heard you had just turned 12 and are starting to show your age.